0: All right, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Exodus in chapter 18. Uh, the book of Exodus in chapter 18. Turning there, uh, let me say a special word of welcome to uh, guests that we have with us this morning. Uh, we are very glad that you're here. And uh, we want you to know that you are always welcome. And we pray that, uh, that you will be blessed by your time with us this morning. Uh, we certainly hope that God will, will do your souls good today. Uh, If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, please feel free to use one of the Bibles provided. Uh, You'll find our passage this morning on page 59 in uh, those Pew Bibles. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson is probably best remembered for his leadership of the United States during World War I. Uh, President Wilson was very involved in international affairs Uh, He was seen as one of the great leaders of the free world by people throughout the globe at his time. But even the best of leaders have their blind spots. Uh, Here was the testimony of Joseph Patrick Tumulty from 1921. He wrote this, he said, President Wilson did not have a well-organized secretarial staff. Uh, He did far too much of the work himself, "'studying until late at night papers and documents "'that he should have largely delegated to some discreet aides. "'He was, by all odds, the hardest-worked man at the conference, "'but the failure to delegate more of his work "'was not due to any inherent distrust that he had of men "'and certainly not any desire to run the whole show himself, "'but simply to his lack of facility in knowing how to delegate work on a large scale. In execution, we all have a blind spot in some part of our eye. President Wilson's was in his inability to use men. Well, this morning in Exodus 18, we are going to find that Moses, great Moses, had a similar problem. Uh, He, too, had not learned the skill or the art of delegation. Uh, He had been a shepherd for 40 years, and it seems likely he had gotten used to serving as a sole leader. Uh, His decades as a shepherd in the wilderness served him in many ways, especially now that he's shepherding people through the wilderness. But on this count, he, he has a weakness Moses, at Exodus 18, had not yet learned how to delegate authority to trustworthy men. And so in this passage this morning, we are going to see how Moses learned this important lesson. And along the way, God himself is speaking to each of us. Now, you might be thinking, "Uh, Justin, I don't really serve in any leadership positions. (laughs) If this passage is about wise leadership and delegating authority, I'm just not sure that this passage has anything to do with me. And it is very possible that there are some in this room who are not in any kind of position where you are delegating authority to others. But that is part of why we come to church and receive the Word of God together as a family. The Word of God is not just given to us as individuals. The Word of God is given to us as a body. If hearing preaching was only about what God has to say to me and my individual life, I could listen to preaching online at home. Better preaching, frankly, right? But that's not what it's about. Preaching is about us receiving together the Word from God. And sometimes that word will be directly towards me and for me. And sometimes that word will be directly for others in the room. And my calling is to know these things in order to help my brother or my sister keep them. If we study a passage on being a godly mother, it is not going to have direct bearing on me as a man. But it is still good and right. For all of us to hear the word. So that we can encourage the mothers among us. Offer them good biblical counsel. And hold them lovingly accountable for what God has said to them. We are not here this morning as merely a group of disconnected individuals. We are here as a Christian family. United as brothers and sisters in faith. And we receive the word of God together. The full word of God. And we are called to help each other believe it. And obey it. And in this way, we help each other know more fully the thrilling blessings of our wonderful God. So don't ever let a sermon that doesn't seem directly applicable to you keep you from coming to preaching or keep you from paying attention. Every sermon is for all of us because every sermon, like every part of the Word of God, is meant to help us help each other. Now, all that said, I think you will see that this passage has much to encourage and challenge and edify each of us as we study it together. I want us to begin this morning with verses 1 through 12, and I want us to see Moses' testimony as he speaks with his father-in-law, Jethro. And then secondly, we will look at verses 13 to 27, and we will see Jethro's advice. So, if you want an outline this morning, it's easy, it's simple. Number 1, Moses' testimony verses 1 through 12, Jethro's advice verses 13 through 27. Let's begin reading in verse 1. This is the very word of Almighty God. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, remember that's capital L, capital O, capital O, that's Jehovah, that's Yahweh. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now it has been a while in our verse-by-verse study of Exodus since we have encountered Jethro. It was way back in Exodus 2. Uh, Back in Exodus 2, Moses was only 40 years old back then, and he had fled out of Egypt because he had killed a man. And he fled to the Sinai Peninsula. He fled to a land called Midian, and there he met a woman named Zipporah, whom he married. Well, Zipporah was the daughter of a Midianite priest, and Jethro is that priest. Uh, Jethro was a man who believed in many gods, but among those many gods, he did know of the true God. He knew of Yahweh. He worshipped Yahweh. But his religion was syncretistic. It, it was not a pure religion. Uh, he had mixed the knowledge of the true God with other beliefs, pagan beliefs and idols and in deities. And so he served as a Midianite priest uh, that led people in serving and worshipping various gods. If you'll remember, Moses worked for Jethro for 40 years as a shepherd of his flocks. And it was during that time that Zipporah had borne Moses a son, Gershom. But then, after that fateful event where God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush, uh, Moses took Zipporah and his son and they headed to Egypt. Along the way, there was that weird a dramatic incident that happened where the Lord was about to strike down Moses and Zipporah saved Moses' life by circumcising Gershom. And it appears that after that event and as things were heating up in Egypt, Moses sent Zipporah and her son back to her father where she would be safe, safe from Pharaoh's anger. And so what we have in this passage is a family reunion. Uh, not only that, but we learn here of Moses' other son, his second son, Eliezer. And both of these boys were given names that would help Moses and his family remember what God had done for them. So now Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt and they are near Midian. They are near Jethro. Jethro. In fact, they're at that place called Rephidim, really, really close to Mount Sinai. In fact, if you'll remember, uh, Moses and some of the other elders have already pitched their tents at Mount Sinai. And so it's here at the base of the mountain that this family reunion is taking place. Jethro comes to reunite Moses with his family, but he also comes because he has heard news of what God has done for Israel and bringing them out of Egypt. Uh, This is not the last time that we will find that other people have been hearing news of what God did. Uh, The ten plagues, the the splitting of the Red Sea, these were huge events. And remember, Egypt was the most powerful empire in the ancient world at this time. And so people are hearing this. The the word is spreading throughout the Middle East about what God did in Egypt. Egypt, and Jethro has come wanting details. Is it true, Moses? Tell me about it. Tell me Tell me what happened. I, Moses, I want to hear this amazing story of what God has done for you. I want to stop right here and ask you a question. Have others heard the news from your lips of how God delivered you from hell? Have others heard from you the great news of the great miracle that God performed in your heart to save you from your sins and to bring you to salvation? Friends, the miracle of your conversion is a greater miracle than the splitting of the Red Sea. You know that? The Bible sees the miracle of a person in darkness turning to light as a, as a higher miracle than that of Standing waters up in piles on two sides. Have you gone public with what God has done for you? This is what baptism is. Baptism is our first public pronouncement, our, our official declaration to the world. Jesus Christ has saved me meaningful church membership, being, being counted among the people of God. This is a second way that we say to the world, I am one of the redeemed. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we are professing to God our souls, every person in this room, the blood of Jesus has delivered me. And certainly we ought to live in such a way every day of the week that we give people a reason to approach us and ask us, about the hope that we have. We want Jethro's coming to us saying, what happened to you? Tell me the story. What what happened to you that changed you? Our lives are to be marked by such commitment to the commands of Christ and such faith in His promises that people stop and ask us how we came to be this way. And then like Moses, we get to share the details. I once was lost, now I'm found. Let me tell you how it happened, my dear friend. Uh, We see in our passage that Moses was quick to share. He wasn't hesitant to share this information. He uh, seems to enjoy sharing this information. It's it's a wonderful thing. It's a joyful thing to give testimony of what God has done for us. And, And by the way, we don't have to be able to explain it all. We don't have to be able to answer every question. I I think many Christians are afraid to start talking to people about their testimonies because they're afraid that the person might have questions for them that they can't answer. Well, Moses had a lot of questions to answer that he couldn't answer, I am sure. Jethro is saying, Moses, how did your staff become a serpent and swallow up Pharaoh's serpents? Moses is like, I don't know. God did it, right? Moses, how did complete darkness rain over the kingdom of Egypt, and yet the sun was shining right there in that little spot of Goshen where the Israelites lived. How, how exactly did that happen, Moses? God did it, right? Moses, how did the waters rise up like a wall and not come tumbling down on all of you? Moses did not have good scientific answers to all of those questions, and he did not need to. All he needed to share was what he had seen God do in his life. Makes me think of the man in the Gospel of John who had been given his sight by Jesus. And when he was questioned by the religious leaders, he he didn't have all the answers that they wanted, but he said this, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. Christian friend, when was the last time that you shared your story, your testimony? with someone? Has it been recent? Uh, Parents, do your children know your story of how God saved you? Will they be able to tell your grandchildren one day the story of how God redeemed you? How about your coworkers? Do they know this story? When you have a family reunion and people start catching up on one another's lives, do you share what God has been doing for you? Do you give testimony not only of how He saved you, but how He is providing for you, how He is caring for you, how He is growing you up in the faith? And notice in our passage Jethro's response. He is delighted by what he hears. He worships the God of Israel because of what he hears. Yes, Jethro's faith needs some refining, Jethro's faith has some significant and serious errors that need correcting. But look at how different this Gentile priest is from the people of Israel. This Gentile priest hears the story and he rejoices at the works of God. The people of Israel actually experience these works of God and they just keep grumbling and complaining. Jethro receives this news with faith He receives this news with joy. The people of Israel, who were actually there at the Red Sea, they continue to disbelieve. They continue to worry. Uh, To quote John Currid, what Jesus says about the Roman centurion in Matthew 8.10 can now be said about Jethro. Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. So we have here Moses' testimony. But then second, let's notice Jethro's advice. And we'll spend the rest of our time here. Jethro's advice. Begin reading in verse 13. Verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you were doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Uh, note there, there were statutes and laws of God that were known before Exodus 20 and Mount Sinai. That's going to be important later. Okay, Just Keep that. your mind verse uh, 17 Moses father-in-law said to him what you are doing is not good you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you you are not able to do it alone now obey my voice I will give you advice and God be with you you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, And so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel. He made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case, they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So you see the, the issue laid bare in our passage. Moses is wearing himself out. Moses was a prophet of God. He was able to speak for God. He had been taught by God, God's principles and God's ways, people were coming to Moses to get answers to questions and to settle disputes. But because Moses had not trained others, because he had not taught God's truth to them, he alone was left handling all of this. And it wasn't just Moses that was being worn down. Did you notice he got at least to sit down? The rest of the people are standing around him, basically waiting in line all day long, 24 hours. Jethro says that Moses and the people with him are wearing themselves out. This was an inefficient system. Uh, this, was, this was a poor leadership style. That word wear out in verse 18. Do you see that wear out in verse 18? It literally means to wither. How many men and women have been given leadership responsibilities in all sorts of arenas of life And how many times have they taken on that new authority with passion and with vigor and they were ready to make a difference with the authority they've been given and then they withered. How many have seen their original passion lost, stifled by daily burdens, stifled by monotonous tasks, overwhelmingly overworked? The best leaders are not people who do it all themselves. They are people who influence and empower others. An unwillingness to put trust in others, an unwillingness to raise them up and to train them and to delegate to them is often a mark of pride. The prideful person says, I must do it all so that it can be done my way, the right way. You ever talked like that? (laughs) I know this is a lot for me to handle, but Crystal's giving me that look. Because I'm convicted this is me I do this all the time right and I know that I need to give this to someone else but I want it done this way and so I'm gonna do it my way um, the humble person recognizes that God gives people different gifts and he has called us to rely on others in fulfilling God's purposes We saw a picture of this in our last chapter, didn't we? As as Moses' arms were growing weary, he was holding that staff up on the mountain, but his his arms were getting weak and was getting weak, and Joshua and the the Hebrew army was beginning to be overwhelmed by the Amalekites. And and so there was Aaron and there was Hur, and they came and they, they lifted up his arms and they contributed their strength to his. We're now seeing that very same principle in a more systemic fashion. Moses needs to learn to rely on the abilities of others and not just to rely all on himself. Is that anyone else here this morning besides me? (laughs) Does anybody else need to learn that lesson? There were at least three consequences of Moses' style of leadership. Uh, One is that he was overburdened. The second is that the people of Israel were not being well served. And third, qualified men in Israel were not being given the opportunity to serve and grow. So let me just say those again. What was the consequence of this poor leadership style? First, Moses was overburdened. Second, the people of Israel were not being well served. And then third, there were qualified men in Israel who were not being given the opportunity to serve and to grow. Jethro's advice is recorded in our Bibles even though it came from a Gentile priest, a Midianite priest, because it is nevertheless true and good advice. It was true and good advice that needs to be heard and applied by God's people in a whole variety of circumstances. The fact that it came from a Midianite priest doesn't change anything because if something is true, it's true. All truth is God's truth. So let me just stop here and ask this. Mount Hermon, do you know that we can receive wisdom from people who are outside the family of God? Do you know that? Do you know that that even unbelievers, even people who despise our Lord Jesus Christ can sometimes offer good counsel to us? This is, this is common grace that God has given wisdom and insight of various kinds to all kinds of people. And So just because your boss or your manager or your instructor or your homeroom teacher doesn't love Jesus, it doesn't mean that you should not listen to them, consider what they have to say, and take what is good and learn from it. Yes, we should always use discernment, whether you're listening to an unbeliever or a believer. Always use discernment. Yes, know that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and that knowledge without faith is still vain knowledge, but nevertheless, all truth is God's truth and we really can benefit from counsel given to us by unbelievers. One very interesting evidence of this is the book of Proverbs because the Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings first compiled by Solomon and then added to by a later editor and given to us as Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture. But for example, listen to this ancient proverb from Egypt. Cast not your heart in pursuit of riches. They have made themselves wings like geese and are flown away into the heavens. And now Proverbs 23, 4-5. through five. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle towards heaven. Do you hear the similarity? Right? Uh, or again, an Egyptian proverb: "Do not carry off the landmark at the boundaries of the arable land, nor encroach upon the boundaries of a widow." Proverbs 23:10: "Do not move an ancient landmark, or enter upon the fields of the fatherless." See the similarities? the principles being taught here? Robert Rayburn points us to a quote from C.S. Lewis and his book, Mere Christianity. In that book, Lewis says, if you are a Christian, you do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong through and through. If you are an atheist, you have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the world is simply one huge mistake. But if you are a Christian, you are free to think that all these religions... Even the strangest ones contain at least some hint of the truth. Mount Hermon, that does not change our commitment to the Bible as the Word of God. It does not change the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven or that we should test everything according to the Bible. We must test all claims according to the Bible, but we should not disregard out of hand advice that comes from outside the people of God. Now notice, by the way, the kind of men that Jethro recommends. So look at verse 21. Verse 21, uh, later in the New Testament, we're going to find qualifications for leaders in Christ's church. Uh, We think about 1 Timothy, we think about Titus, and the qualifications there to be a pastor or to be a deacon. But already here in Exodus, we are being given a description of a godly leader. Uh, These are to be able men, capable men. They are to fear God. They are to be trustworthy. They are to to hate a bribe. That's, That's a pretty good summary of a godly leader, don't you think? As a church, one of our callings is to be always looking for men in our midst whom God might raise up to serve as a future deacon here or even to serve as a future elder here. Or perhaps even be sent out to serve another church somewhere. And these are the kinds of questions we're to be asking as we look at the men in our church. Are they capable? Can they do the work? Are they physically able? Do they have the time? Do they have the margin in their lives to be able to serve? Do they have the gifting required? And of course, when it comes to leaders, what could be more important than the fear of God? Even with our political leaders, it is so important that they know what it is to be humble. A healthy fear of God, a reverence for God, is what puts men in a proper posture to lead others. Real leadership is leading on our knees. We lead as Christ led by washing His disciples' feet and giving His life a sacrifice for others. Leaders are to be servant leaders. They're to be humble leaders. And that only comes about by having a constant sense of awe, of reverence towards God. He is big and I am small. He is God. I am dust. I fear the church that has celebrity pastors and a culture of trying to be hip and rad and the next big famous thing. It really doesn't matter how well leadership can relate to contemporary music or movies or the digital age. This is what we're to look for in leaders. Do they fear God? And is there a sense of unworthiness before God in their hearts? Let's apply these qualities to ourselves. Do we fear God in this room? Would you say that this is a characteristic mark of who you are? An awesome sense of reverence and humility before your maker. What about trustworthiness? Can we be trusted? Does our word mean something? If you say that you're going to do something, can people count on that? If a fellow church member comes to you for counsel, about a serious situation in their life, can they count on your discretion? Or do they need to fear that you might go gossiping about that? Are you a promise keeper? Are you a faithful friend? Are you a good steward of what's entrusted to you? Finally, are you the kind of person who would take a bribe? Would you be willing to disobey God or be unfaithful in some way if the price is right. Uh, Search your heart right now. How often have you disobeyed God for a bribe? Maybe it wasn't money that was being offered. Maybe it was pleasure. Maybe it was the thrill of getting to say that hurtful thing that you really want to say. And what your flesh is saying is, disobey God, say that hurtful thing, and I'll give you that pleasure. That sense of, hmm, I really stuck it to him. Ever been bribed in that way? Maybe it was a moment of feeding your pride. We've all been guilty of giving into temptation when the price was right. But true leaders are called to have integrity. Our actions are called to match our profession of faith, life matching our doctrine. A great leader is one who is bona fide. He's not pretending. He's not putting on a show. The difference between a leader of true integrity and the one who will take a bribe is the difference between real gold and false gold. One is a true rare treasure and the other will do you no real good in the end. Uh, Back in earlier days, a potter or a sculptor might make a mistake in his work. And rather than fix the mistake, start all over, melt down the pot, start all over, no, 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 that would take too much time and effort. What he would do is he might use wax to hide his mistake. The problem, of course, is that when people got home with their piece of pottery, uh, once that object got too hot, that wax would melt. And the person who bought the object would find out they had been deceived. This is a, a broken vessel. This is why some sellers began to put a declaration on their items. Uh, in Latin, sine, sera. Sine meaning without. Sera meaning wax. Without wax. That's where we get our words sincerely. Right? We want to be sincere people. People of authenticity. People who are honest. People who are true through and through. People who are without wax. This is who we are to strive to be as Christian people faithful. So friends, as we close this morning, I want you to notice that these words describing the kinds of leaders that Moses was to seek out and train, these words also describe our Savior. Jesus is able, is he not? Jesus fears God and his life in the gospel shows that in page after page. Jesus is trustworthy. Indeed, we can take the most valuable thing we have, namely our souls, and we can entrust them to Jesus with confidence he's going to keep his word and keep our souls safe and secure all the way through the day of judgment into the streets of paradise itself. Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus does not take a bribe. He's faithful through and through. In fact, Jesus and Jesus alone has met this criteria perfectly. And therefore, Jesus and Jesus alone has been given the ultimate position of authority, King of kings and Lord of lords. And in that position, Jesus is fully capable of saving us from our sins and bringing us to heaven. And so I would simply say to any unbeliever in this room, if you have never entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ, see Him before you as a trustworthy Savior and as an honest shepherd for your soul. Run to Him in faith. Give your life to Him. Surrender yourself to Him. Rather than looking to your own works to get you to heaven, rest in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then show that you're one of His Follow him in baptism, church membership, and learning what it is to live life as a disciple, as a Christian. And may God help every one of us to walk as people of integrity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.